My name is Sean McCann. I'm conducting expert interviews on behalf of the European Hematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology, which this year is in Orlando in Florida. And with me, I have Mary Frances McMullen. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming along. And Mary Frances is Clinical Professor, School of Medicine and Dentistry and Biochemical Sciences, Centre for Cancer Research and Cell Biology, Queen's University, Belfast. Yeah. Which is That's not actually quite right. Do you want to <laughs> Does it matter? You can, we can fix it later. Yeah. Uh, and she is an expert on erythrocytosis, so we're going to spend the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes talking about that. So I suppose to open the batting, um, how do you make the diagnosis? Well... <laughs> Somebody gets a full blood count and it is judged to be uh, above the normal range. And of course, that is the first problem, as you will be only too well aware, <laughs> because the WHO criteria for polycythemia vera now quote numbers which are actually in the normal range. However, um, these patients certainly get referred because of a blood count ab above normal. However, to make a, an erythrocytosis, is actually, by definition, a red cell mass greater than 125% are predicted for against control for body mass and sex. Um, and uh, that is what it actually means. It correlates, the greater than 125%, correlates quite well if the hematocrit, better than the haemoglobin, is particularly high, above 0.6 in a man and 0.56 in a woman. It's always... Um, is the same as greater than 125%. But there's certainly an issue with numbers below that. Do they really have an erythrocytosis or not? And of course, you know what I'm going to say next. If you want to <laughs> prove the point, you need a red cell mass. Who does that now? Well, that's um, quite... Uh, some people still do it, and it's going to come back to some extent. The problem is that the chromium has all been withdrawn, but the nuclear medicine departments are, uh, certainly in the UK, are looking at doing it with technetium. Um, okay. As Oxford and guys, I think, have already got it going, our people tell us they'll do it when they've got enough staff. But it is, uh, I mean, it has been an issue for a long time and it's still an issue. And as I say, it doesn't matter when the haemoglobin's very high, but we've all had, I've certainly had patients in my clinic referred with a supposed erythrocytosis. When you do the red cell mass, normal. It, it's normal or it's in the normal range and they're probably just a bit dehydrated. Right, right. So it may come back into fashion again then. Um, I don't think it'll come out, up, uh, out sort of to prime time, but uh, it's a useful investigation. Yes, you're going to do the Jack 2 and, uh, and get around the, the clonal ones that way, but it's a sort of grip at the end, actually right. looking to see how their erythrocytosis right. Now, as far as I understand it, there are two major categories, mm -hmm. apart from the monoproliferative diseases, mm -hmm. the congenital ones and the sort of idiopathic ones. Well, you can... Am I, or am I... Well, you, you, can, you can actually take the classification broader than that. So you start off with primary or secondary. Okay. So primary is with a, a low or sometimes normal, but low normal uh, erythropoietin level. And in that case, you'd be looking at an... A, defect intrinsic to the erythroid compartment 
And then secondary, where the EPO is normal or elevated. Elevated obviously makes sense. Normal is actually also shows you have an EPO drive because having a normal EPO level in somebody whose hemoglobin is 200 is not actually normal. <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, so we, we have often referred to that as inappropriately normal. Right. Um, so that's primary or secondary first. Um, and secondary, then it's erythropoietin driven. You can then classify it much further, uh, starting with the primary into congenital or acquired, the main primary acquired disorder being polycythemia vera. Yeah, um, and similarly with the secondary congenital, and I get to talk always about a list of rare congenital yeah. causes, but actually, of course, the majority of, are, are, of, are, uh, of the secondaries are acquired and you can classify that down starting with um, central hypoxia, local hypoxia, pathog pathological EPO production, um, taking of substances <laughs> that put the EPO level, the, uh, level up. So you can produce a, a long list of acquired causes. And then you're left with a group where you can't find the cause. And that's what falls into the idiopathic right. category. And of course, it, it's both primary and secondary because it's the ones that you haven't found out what's going on. Are there any clinical indications that separate one group from the other? I mean, or do you have to rely on laboratory tests? You have to rely on laboratory tests. Well, actually, I would say the first thing you have to do is take a history from and examine the patient good, good, and repeat good. the full blood count right. before you go any further than right. that. Um, you know, you want to get... We've all had the um, blue bloater refer. Well, that's probably not the correct term nowadays. Well, but, well we're not you know, easy. referred because yes. their hemoglobin's up. You know, as they put their cigarette out as they come into the the <laughs> hospital. Um, so you know, a lot of those can be screened out mm. um, just by taking a good history and having a look at the patient rather than reacting to a, okay. a blood count. So history is still important. It's my that's, book, very important. That's good to hear, Barbara. And the and the blood film. I was going to ask you that's the next my, my next question. Do you still have a microscope? Well, I do. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, and I think it's always worth looking at a blood film in a new patient. It's not going to get you much further if we're talking about erythrocytosis. It is useful to get you know that they're they're not really a myelofibrosis or something. Yes, like that. but yes. Um, it um, it it's not you know, it's not going to tell you anything along this. So EPO levels obviously are standard now. In terms EPO levels are standard, now. yes. Okay. Oxygen dissociation curves, who does those? Um, very few. Um, we used to do them for years. In fact, I think you sent samples up on the train <laughs> and then the machine broke and nobody could pay for the parts to get it fixed. So that is a problem. I think kings were doing them at one stage but then you've got to get the sample and the control there and all of these laboratory tests have uh, an issue with quality control yeah um so the list of investigations you should do will have an oxygen dissociation curve uh, and the likes of you and i did many of them in the past um, but you've got to actually find somebody to do it. So when we get to the next generation sequencing, I will give you a suggestion <laughs> as to how you get around that. But what, what do you do practically? At, at the moment, what do you do? Um, in the, as I say, in the real world. We, we would do, if you're thinking, because on oxygen association curve, you're looking for a high affinity uh, yeah, of yeah. haemoglobin. And certainly our next generation sequencing panel has the haemoglobin genes on it deliberately. Right. Um, so the next test you would have had was haemoglobin electrophoresis, yes. um, which isn't that much use with the with the <laughs> um, high affinity oxygens, um, although you, you would do it. 
Um, but um, you can really say, and this is what people were actually doing, that you can skip and go to sequence looking at the haemoglobin genes. Um, and people were doing that because it was easier actually to, to do the molecular analysis of the haemoglobin genes than get the P50 and the haemoglobin electrophoresis. And that's why when we put up a custom design panel to try and cover all the congenital causes, we put the haemoglobin genes on it as well. Because actually the ones that over the years most frequently missed causes of erythrocytosis are, are the high affinity okay. haemoglobins. So, I mean, in terms of, of prevalence or frequency, mm -hmm. I mean... These are rare disorders. Would you see one a year, two a year, ten a year, or...? Um, one a year, depend, but it depends on who's yeah. looking and what... You know, I've just stood up yesterday and ten people wanted to know how do you do this panel because I have these patients and I can't look... Have look for, have, I, can't, I can't look for these things. Okay. Um, I mean, it takes you back to the idiopathic erythrocytosis. Um which is the, those you can't find it. When I did this talk at ASH 10 years ago, it was actually titled Idiopathic Erythrocytosis, A Disappearing Entity. Okay. And the idea was at that point we had just found um, the HIF2 and the, uh, the VH, not sure if we even got the HIF2, PhD2 and the VHL. And here we're finding some uh, causes for this congenital erythrocytosis. Um, and lo and behold, if you can, if you could, look at them all you were bound to to find it so there's less um like that but even with um what was really the probably the biggest study which we were involved in with carney camps as the first author where everybody threw all their erythrocytosis samples into it started it was part of the whole genome sequencing project um and they were looked at with a really extensive panel um, and we found lots of interesting things um but 54 percent of them had no genetic variants. Right. And of the genetic variants, just to explain again the, the sort of more common ones. Okay. So again, you st in that you do this primary-secondary divide. So primary congenital erythrocytosis. Common is not the word I would use to well, describe frequent. it. But the one that is found with a low EPO yeah. is the EPO receptor mutations. And there have been a, a, a series of those um, described and possibly a few more, but they are really very rare. Right. Um, link is even much rarer, but there have been some congenital link mutations, which would be a primary defect, but they're vanishingly rare. The majority of these things are secondary um, er, congenital erythrocytosis. So in the oxygen sensing pathway, you have mutations of VHL, the most famous being the homozygote VHL Chuvash mutation. Right. Um, then uh, heterozygous mutations of HIF2, alpha, and PHD2. Um, the other sort of new kid on the block, for want of a better word, is that Radic Skoda's group have done very elegant work describing a gain of function mutation in the erythropoietin gene itself. So, but, it, but this is a, a gain of function mutation, so it actually ends up with increased erythropoietin and then erythrocytosis. Then you have the um, high oxygen affinity hemoglobins, which I suspect overall are much more are, common are than, <laughs> than all the rest of these because yeah. people knew about those and, and, and uh, one, they're overlooked and two, there's, prob there's far more of mm. them out there. But once people diagnose it, they, prob they don't think of them in the same category, right. um, but they are. 
and then you're onto the very the very rare things the BP bisphosphoglycerin mutase, um, and some of there's a few very rare things that we refer to these to you yeah. definitely. Okay, just we'll finish up on talking about treatment. I mean, when I was young, about a thousand years ago, mm -hmm. venesection and aspirin. Yeah. Has anything happened since? No. Well, first of all you need to remember that these are congenital disorders and it's always very important. Well, the defects that I've described are congenital disorders. Idiopathic erythrocytosis we'll come back to in a minute. So they're germline disorders. They're not acquired neoplastic mm. disorders. Um, there is very little evidence out there as to what to do to treat them. Um, there are some things in the literature, some fairly horrific stories of people having thrombotic events with some of these and often, you mean? no no no, no without, it. without it um and there's even a suggestion but it's very hard to get more work on this that these people what you know what happens to these people uh, over time there's some cases describing them getting pulmonary hypertension so what can you advise for uh, management um everybody gives them aspirin Low-dose aspirin, it works in PV, first right. do no harm, as long as they're not bleeding from their ulcer. Yes. Um, there's actually little evidence that it makes any difference. And in fact, in the retrospective Chivash studies that Joe Bercal scripted, it didn't show any benefit at all. Venus section then comes up, um, and the temptation is how we, when we treat um, PV is to reach for the venous section. Um, but there may well be a reason for not to do that because many of these things effectively end up with abnormal physiology. So like the oxygen dissociation yes. curve. So, you know, the patient physiologically may need higher haemoglobin right. or hematocrit to, to function. And in fact, there's, there were nice studies done uh, in Oxford um, where some of these patients were looked at in physiology and they're like their their body set like they were up the top of a mountain so you yes, don't want a venous you don't want down. To drag them down um so all you can suggest is that you might wish to do a little gentle venous section if you think they have symptoms that are re related to their hematocrit and in the high affinity oxygen there is because they're usually autosomal dominant inheritance um, there is evidence to suggest that if you have somebody who has had a with a high oxygen affinity hemoglobin, who's had a thrombotic event and then been venosected, other family members should get venosected with right. the, before they get to before having they the, get the right. thrombotic event. Okay. And then you get to what level you should go to. And when we wrote the guidelines, we were very careful not to put numbers on it. Right. Uh, you know, but you're sort of suggesting 0.55, that sort of thing. Okay. But certainly not anywhere near 0.45. Right. That all came from PV okay. and nowhere else. Well, we'll thank you very much. We'll just finish up on guidelines because I have a... I have a thing about guidelines. How long are your guidelines? Well, How many pages? Our guidelines are very good. The polycentimia <laughs> very good. Um, won the British Journal of Hematology Guideline of the Year. So what we did, um, they are evidence-based guidelines. Um, and we looked at, did an extensive literature search and then did all the papers from the from 2005 and then incorporated that in. I did not do it all myself, but we had yeah, yeah. various people did various groups. And then we, then each group had to take their advice to the whole group. So it was all agreed. 
um, it, 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 I mean, they can't be more than 5,000 words. That's why they're split into two, because we did PV in them in special right. situations. And they have the guidance as bullet points um, at, at Good. regular intervals. That's the way the BSH makes you do it, and it's actually very yeah, efficient. Because I, I have to have a hold my hands up. I, I was a co-author on a 20-page guidance, yeah. which is... But it has a to, chapter in a book, and it not has guidelines. to be. It ha yeah, and I've been <coughs> part of many European ones that you know everybody gives their opinion. Yes, uh, um, they they are long because they cover a lot. I mean, we do the diagnostic yeah. bacteria uh, the whole way through, but as I say, the 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 BS the BSH method is very very keen that you put the guidance with the levels of evidence right. as bullet points each right. everywhere you go along. So you could, and I usually do this when people ask me, I mean, you could go in and just lift the, the, the bits, the three or four points for yes. that particular yes. question. Yeah. But as I said to a number of people in the last day or two, unfortunately, the judiciary thing, guidelines or rules. Yes, but that which is, is there's, our there's actually rules. a disclaimer on that that is says there? that, all of them that says okay. that specifically, this is guidance. I know, but nobody it's, ever reads it's that. It's not actually just the judiciary. If you see what happened in shot, it's quite interesting, <laughs> where guidelines go out and then they go into the organisations and get taken as uh, thou must. Yeah. Okay, on that uh, sort of controversial uh, mm -hmm. uh, note, thank you very much indeed for sharing your thoughts. So for you young investigators, there are still, I'm sure, new things to be discovered in erythrocytosis, and hopefully we'll have a new acceptable test for measuring red cell mass in the near future. Thank you. Mm -hmm.